Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fully Puffed, a Gilmore Girls podcast. This is actually our 10th episode, which is really exciting. So thank you all who tune in and listen and indulge our fun little hobby slash side project. And so I'm Emily, and I'm here with Grace. Hello, everybody. And today we'll be discussing season one, episode 10, Forgiveness and Stuff. AKA the hospital Richard potential heart attack episode. <laughs> AKA the Santa Burger episode. Yes, definitely more, more well known for the Santa Burger. And we'll discuss whether we'd eat the Santa Burger throughout the episode. Oh, there's so much cream cheese involved. A really unappetizing combination of ingredients. Well-meaning, well-meaning, but we'll get to that later. So do you want to start off with our episode summary? Yeah, let's do it. Take it away. All right. So the episode picks up a few days after the end of the previous one. And just to give you a refresher, that episode ended with Lorelai and Emily and then Lorelai and Rory getting in a huge fight over Rory and Dean falling asleep after the dance and Rory not coming home until the next morning. Anyway, this episode starts with Lorelai and Rory helping Stars Hollow prepare for its annual Christmas pageant. And while Lorelai and Rory are speaking to one another, they still aren't on good terms and they haven't made up. When Emily calls Lorelai to give her the details about the Gilmore's upcoming annual Christmas party, Lorelai makes a big deal about how she's going to have to be late because of work at the inn. And Emily gets frustrated and tells her not to come. Lorelai is shocked, especially because the Gilmores have always demanded that she come to the Christmas party, no matter what's going on in her life. While Rory is convinced that if Lorelai calls Emily and apologizes, Emily's going to reinvite her, Lorelai doesn't want to, and Rory ends up going to the party without her. At the party, Richard keeps getting increasingly agitated when talking about an unseen younger colleague. Meanwhile, Lorelai is home alone and missing Rory and wishing she was at the party. Dean shows up looking for Rory and explains that nothing happened at the dance and Lorelai forgives him. She then heads over to Luke's where she tells him that she wants to be at the party but isn't sure why and he gives her a surprisingly perceptive answer. Then since she told him she wishes there was something festive on the menu, he goes off and makes her a Santa burger. Just after all of this, Lorelai gets a call from Rory and when she listens to the voicemail, she finds out that Richard is in the hospital. She starts panicking and Luke volunteers to drive her there. And so on the way to the hospital, they have a cute little heart to heart about Lorelai's relationship with Richard. And when they get there, they find Emily who's freaking out about not being able to get any information. And Lorelai then convinces the nurse to get off of Emily's back. And she, Emily and Luke sneak back into the ward. Eventually, Richard gets wheeled into a room and Lorelai's really reluctant and scared to go in and see him. Luke, who's waited with her in the hospital throughout this whole ordeal, calls Lorelai out on all of this, but she keeps finding excuses to stay out. Rory does go in and reads Richard the financial pages, and then Emily and Richard have a conversation about the possibility that he might die. Elsewhere in the hospital, Lorelai and Rory make up, and Lorelai tells Rory she believes her that nothing happened after the dance. Finally, Lorelai decides to go in and see her father, and there's a brief moment where the two of them look at each other, and it seems like they're about to speak. But then Richard's doctor and Emily rush in. They have good news. Richard didn't have a heart attack. It was just about an angina, though they'll be keeping him overnight for observation. Lorelai asks Luke to drive Rory home because she wants to stay at the hospital for a while. When Lorelai tells Emily that she's going to stay, Emily's surprised and pleased. And without directly talking about what happened after the dance, Emily and Lorelai break, uh, make up, not break up. <laughs> The episode ends a few days later with Lorelai coming into Luke's to update him on Richard, who we learn is doing well, and to give him a thank you present, which is a new blue baseball cap. Lorelai puts it on him, and they look out the window to watch the rehearsal for the town Christmas pageant together. I love this episode. Oh, same. Like, hands down, same. (laughs) It hits all of my favorite parts of Gilmore Girls all in one. I'm a sucker for the Luke Lorelai stuff. We get some like hefty emotional stuff with Lorelai and her parents and Lorelai and Rory. And there's also just a seasonal Stars Hollow shenanigan going on, which I love. And it's, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good stuff. Completely agree on all fronts. It's also my favorite Gilmore Girl stuff. And I just think it's fantastic. 
Catherine is obviously not here today, but in her honor, we miss her. And I'm just going to cover the director, writer, production notes briefly. So our director is Bethany Rooney. She has a lot of other credits. She's directed episodes of Allie McBeal, Beverly Hills 90210, both the original and the short-lived reboot, Melrose Place, Ferris Bueller, the TV series. Wait, what is that? I have no idea. I felt like I had to include it because I just have no, I've never, I didn't know that they tried to make a TV series out of this. Yeah, Jennifer Aniston was in the Ferris Bueller TV show. Are you serious? What? what did she play? It was pre-Friends, obviously. She played Jeannie Bueller. I think that, is that the sister? Oh my God, Jane Lynch was in this too. <laughs> I wonder if she brought Jane Lynch on for this episode or at least if that like affected the casting process because she knew her from Ferris Bueller, the TV show. There's a high chance that that's what happened. It was canceled within its first season a few months after its debut. I mean, I get it. They were trying to capitalize on the popularity of the movie, but like. Except yeah. they didn't. Eat- Ferris Bueller is played by someone else. Yeah, because he, what's his name? Um, He was not returning. Matthew Broderick? Matthew yeah, of course. Not returning for this. He was instead played by some man named Charlie Schlatter. Wow. Wow. Well, that's where Bethany Rooney sort of cut her teeth on a couple episodes of that. So I don't know what that says about Gilmore Girls, but I think like the rest of the, so it's Allie McBeal, Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place, Ferris Bueller, Dawson's Creek, Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide, Desperate Housewives, Brothers and Sisters, Private Practice, Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and The Blacklist. Okay. She's like done a lot. <laughs> she's done a lot. And she's done a lot of sort of not like melodrama in its pure definition of like what, you know, the genre, but like more dr- melodramatic mel- sitcoms. Melodramatic. And also Ned's Declassified School Survivor Guide. Yeah, that feels like an outlier, obviously, to me. <laughs> Maybe they knew she worked on the Ferris Bueller TV show and they were like, sure. But yeah, so I think they clearly brought her in to do like the more dramatic event episode, like the hospital event episode, which to me... So much of what I like about this episode is because it doesn't feel like a typical like hospital episode. It doesn't feel forced, mm-hmm. even though there are like reconciliations at a hospital, which is another trope. But I yeah. think the reason it works comes when we see the writer. Uh, so John Stevens is is the writer of this, along with Amy Sherman Palladino credited. His other credits include seven episodes of Gilmore Girls, including mm-hmm. Emily in Wonderland, which is great. And the season two finale, I Can't Get Started, which I think is one of the best episodes of the series. And I think he's probably the reason I love this episode so much. I'm so excited to get to the end of season two so we can talk about that one. Oh, I can't wait. He's also credited as a co-producer on every episode of Gilmore Girls season four. And then it looks like he immediately left and went to be a producer on the OC, which he worked on for two years. He then went to be an executive producer on Gossip Girl and then on to Gotham, which is an interesting <laughs> twist. The WB was like, here, do all of these things. Oh, God, you're right. They were all that. Okay, that's the that's the connection. It's WB Properties. Okay. Yeah, so he's probably a very wealthy man by this point, which like, good for him. He wrote some, good for him. He wrote some good TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, just because you mentioned see- the season two finale, this episode has a lot of undertones that come up in like a lot of subsequent episodes. Yeah. We'll talk about this later, but a lot of this reminds me of the season seven episode, which there's not a lot of good season seven episodes, but there's one, You're a Kayak, I think it's called. I'm a Kayak, Hear Me Roar. Yes. Yeah. This episode reminds me a lot of that episode for reasons that we'll discuss later. I agree with you. And I think that is one of the few good season seven episodes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So actually, I wanted to really, really quickly mention Bethany Rooney, who's the director, also directed two more episodes of Gilmore Girls, but in season seven, Lorelai, Lorelai, and the extremely notorious That's What You Get for Making Whoopi Folks episodes. Those are both terrible episodes. Bad episodes. So interesting. Mm. Do you want to jump into the cold open? Because we have a lot to talk about in this one. And most of it will be, I think it's like really exciting to talk about. Yeah, this is one where we're going to just gush for a lot of this episode. So be prepared. Strap in. <laughs> so in the cold open, uh, Lorelai and Rory are helping everybody with their costumes and preparation for the Stars Hollow Christmas pageant, which is in a couple weeks. I love this. It's the first glimpse we get of like Stars Hollow's mania for putting on really elaborate productions, which we'll see later with like the Twickham House Museum and the Stars Hollow musical, the Festival of Living Pictures and the Fiddler on the Roof musical too. And I'm a sucker for that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so... 
we open and we're in, I think, Miss Patty's dance studio and Lorelai is fitting Kirk for his costume. He's playing either Joseph or some other shepherd, which is just, well, it's not the Christ, but you know, Kirk's time will come. Honestly, I love that Kirk just ends up being like a method actor and (laughs) committing so hard to everything he does. I am just like such a sucker for all of this Stars Hollow seasonal stuff. Me too. This is one of the few Christmas episodes we get too in the entire series. Yeah, one of the few canonically Christmas episodes. Yes. There's there's another one. There is. There's one in season seven, which I do not like. Oh, Santa's secret stuff. We don't talk about that one. We don't talk about that one. But there's another one. I think there's another one that's like not a season seven episode. That's like a good one. There's also the Bracebridge Dinner, which I consider a Christmas episode, even though it's not actually. Yeah. Which I know is one of your favorites. Love the Bracebridge Dinner. Love it. And so we're in the barn getting ready and definitely things are frosty between Rory and Lorelai. They're kind of watching each other from across the barn or sorry, Miss Patty's dance studio reminds me of a barn. It, it has um, extreme barn energy. Yeah. And like at diabetes camp, all of our like talent show and drama things were in a barn. So that's what I think of. Was it really hot? Like the Miss Patty's studio set was? Yeah, it got really hot in there. Um, Rory hilariously has been tasked with tracking down the missing arm from the baby Jesus. I do think we need to paint a like word picture of what this baby Jesus looks like. (laughs) It is like the dustiest, dirtiest baby you've ever seen. It reminds me of in Toy Story, one of Sid's toys. That's like the baby doll head that's on the mechanical legs. Like that's what this looks (laughs) like to me. So scary looking. Why were dolls, they say it's from the 60s, why were dolls so much more frightening back then? I don't know. It, they're almost uncanny looking. Yes. My mom and I went to an antique store and they had like this huge collection of like 60s dolls. And like one of them was a tiny miniature 60s doll using the toilet. And it was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So Rory complains that it's time to get a new, it's time to get a new doll period, because this doll is not even a boy. And Taylor, who is slowly becoming a bigger part of this series, tells Rory basically shut up because she hasn't been here since the beginning of the pageant and that it doesn't matter. We're fine with whatever gender baby Jesus is in this context. And then as Lorelai and Rory leave, we see a, it's like a collie, right? Mm -hmm. It's some sort of dog, yeah. (laughs) Some sort of ambiguous dog carrying the arm of the baby Jesus in its mouth. Which is like a nice little wrap up to this cute little cold open. Yeah, I like this cold open a lot. Though I don't love when Miss Patty says we have to find like a new Virgin Mary because our before Mary is about to become an after. And we see Lorelai and Rory look at each other and it's like, remember the last episode where Lorelai thought that Rory was going to get pregnant? I don't know. Do you like it? No. And I also think that that is just like trying to force, like that line feels so forced to me. It does to me too. It feels, it's so heavy handed. I also hate, speaking of heavy-handed things in this episode, in the next scene, there's like a very uncomfortable stage scene between Rory and Lane, where they are in the gazebo talking, and Rory's like really scattered because she and Lorelai still haven't made up, and Rory's like, how did things get so screwed up? And Lane's like, I think being caught out late with Dean had something to do with it, and Rory goes, and my grandmother being there didn't help, and Lane's like, never does. It's such an obvious like insert when someone in the writer's room said like, we have to make sure that they really know that this- Be sure to reference the previous episode. Makes me cringe every single time. I hate it. This episode has so many strong moments, but like the lines in the first five minutes are the weakest point, I think. Yeah, agree. You also mentioned when we were talking before this that Lane is wearing (laughs) really cute earmuffs, but- Yeah, I one is trying to make it look like she's not like 32 yeah that's how we feel about all of like lane's wardrobe in season one they're just like so juvenile that i'm like you're trying really hard to create some sort of like counterbalance to the fact that keiko is like in her late 20s it makes her look older i think like when they let her just actually wear normal clothes in later seasons she looks so much younger yeah because you're like why are you putting this person in these like very twee little outfits the one thing I do like about this scene is that, well, actually, I like a couple of things, but I think it's really funny that Dean's new nickname is Narcolepsy Boy. Yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's a good 
Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Then they have a really classic conversation about what Rory wants to get Dean for his birthday. And she has purchased a copy of Kafka's Metamorphosis, <laughs> to which Lane says, I always dreamed some guy would get me a really confusing Czechoslovakian novel, uh, which I think is a fantastic line. I also was always like, that's not a Czechoslovakian book. I think I thought he was Prussian, but no, Gilmore Girls is right about this. He, he's Czechoslovakian. Also, can you imagine Dean reading Metamorphosis? Like, of all, I know we say this, we've said this during almost every episode when we, when the mental image appears of like, Dean reading a book but like this one in particular I'm like he would not read Kafka <laughs> this is the funniest possible thing Dean could be reading like it's so clearly something that Rory wants him to want to read yeah this is something that she would do a book club with Richard about <laughs> it really is that's like interesting psychologically that Rory wants <laughs> wants Dean to read things that her grandfather is actually interested in yeah, Freud yeah. would have something fun to say about that. Truly would. But yeah, do you think that, I mean, I, I don't think either of us think this is a good Christmas gift for Dean. Do you think books are good Christmas gifts? I think it depends. So if there's like a reason why you choose a specific book, then yes. Like for Christmas a few years ago, I got my dad this like beer book and had like flagged all the ones that he had already tried and like. That's really good. So like sometimes I think things like that can be good gifts, but other times it's like, oh, didn't know what to get you. And instead of getting you a candle, I got you a book. And you're like, uh. yeah, I usually get my dad books too, but I like, I get him what he likes. Like I get like a nice edition of Faulkner or something like that. Cause my dad mm. really Faulkner, like when it's tailored towards something that, you know, the person is interested in rather mm. than it's just like, number one, I didn't know what to get you. Or number two, here's something like I want you to do or read. Yeah, this is something I like, therefore I'm getting it for you. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that Lane has a broader point, like a good point that you have to think about what the gift says to the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, screwed up because she got her mom perfume one year and Mrs. Kim thought it was slutty sex juice. And so Lane got sent to Korean Bible camp for like several months over the summer, which, yeah, doesn't sound like an ideal experience. Nope. <laughs> nope. So we're now at the end scene. Michelle is trying to help one of the people put up stuff on the Christmas tree and of course being extremely unhelpful in doing so are they looking to take off the one with the staff or are they looking to take off the fairy I think it's un- it's genuinely unclear I don't know like classic Michelle doesn't give any guidance and just says no not that one he's just standing there it's really funny and then Emily calls Lorelai and as we said in the episode summary she tries to talk to her about the Christmas dinner Lorelai's just not having it and Emily's frankly just like, fine, don't come. It's like, I'm not really happy with you right now. I don't think you're happy with me. And she specifically says, which I think is interesting in the context of this episode, I'm tired of making you do all these awful things that you obviously don't want to do and infringe upon your life. I mean, yeah. I like kind of get where she's coming from. Yeah, I actually, I don't think Emily is in the wrong. I don't think either of them are wrong here. I think Lorelai's a little pretty rude on the phone, but I think that it makes sense to be like, you know what? Just if you're going to be like this, don't show up. Yeah, Emily also comes off, like, it's hard to tell if she's being serious or not, Mm -hmm. but. Rory has a good read on it in the next scene when she's like, I bet she meant it in the moment, but she doesn't really mean it, that she doesn't want to come, and she's like, why don't you apologize to, you know, call up Emily, apologize to her, and she's absolutely gonna let you come, and Lorla's like, no. Yeah, and Rory says, she finally actually physically out loud says, I think you're acting immature, and Lorelai says, I'm not acting which lol <laughs> good line. yeah that scene has a lot of good back and forth with Rory and Lorelai yeah and I also like I don't think that Lorelai should apologize she didn't do anything that's fair do you think she should call and ask to come yeah. it's embarrassing to do yeah and also at this point I think she's more upset about how Emily's treating her not necessarily about what happened after yeah. the dance I think they've all cooled down significantly about what happened at the dance Mm -hmm. as evidenced by like the fact that even though when Dean comes over in a few minutes Laura like gives him a hard time but she's not really like I don't think she genuinely believes that anything happened I also do I went on a little bit of a deep dive oh is this the rubella thing I want you to talk about I was gonna bring it back because so when Lorelai's on the phone with Emily talking about the Christmas party she said that when she had the German measles and the spots on her dress matched the spots on her face, she still had to go. So I was like, oh, what, what are the German measles? Turns out they're rubella. And then I was like, 
but what, how did how did she get that? Shouldn't she have gotten her MMR vaccine? And so it turns out that the MMR vaccine wasn't developed until like 72. And if we do some quick math, going off the fact that Lorelai is like 32 in 2000, she would have been born in 68. And so there's a chance that she hasn't gotten the MMR vaccine. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Interesting. Also, I really appreciate you doing that deep dive. And I, this is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons you are an extraordinarily valued member of the pod. <laughs> I'm the token podcast host in STEM. <laughs> so isn't rebellion contagious? Oh, it's highly, it's highly contagious. Right? Emily made a very bad decision having her daughter go to that party. Yes. I just Googled rubella contagious. And the first result is from the New York Health Authority or whatever. And it says, quote, rubella is a highly contagious viral disease. If you're Googling this, that means you have it and you need to stay home. But anyway, Lorelai's not going to the Christmas party, but Rory is. And Lorelai, I I felt one of my favorite things about this scene in the episode is the apple tarts thing. Apparently Emily, or more accurately, Emily's cook makes really good apple tarts every year. And Rory says, aren't you going to miss the apple tarts? And Lorelai's like, no. And then when Rory goes out, she like asks her to bring her back some and the door is already shut. That felt very realistic to me. There's always something at even a family dinner you don't want to go to, like an annual family party. There's always something that you like to eat there and that makes it somewhat redeemable. That like one weird dish that one of your relatives makes that even though you have the recipe does not taste the same. Not taste the same and you don't want to know what they're putting in it. Exactly. So Rory actually gets to the party. And I think the most notable thing about this for me is, well, two things. Rory gives Emily the gift from her and Lorelai and she keeps trying to advocate for Lorelai, but Emily really skillfully brushes that off and ignores that. And she also brushes off the fact that Rory keeps trying to apologize for what happened to the dance. She's like, this is not the time or place your mother should have taught you that. Which, okay, I think this shows like a lot of maturity on Rory's part because she is trying so hard to be the bigger person and Emily's just being super petty. I completely agree. Rory is, as in many (laughs) scenes in the early seasons of this show, really going out of her way to try to advocate for her mom and to bridge the gap between her mom and Emily. And Emily's just not having it at all. Yeah, she's being like very rude to her. You said that when we talked about this before, that this shows where Lorelai learned to hold a grudge from. And yeah. I thought that was extremely insightful. Yeah. Like, once again, seeing a lot of the parallels between Emily and Lorelai, they're both very stubborn. Extremely. And they don't like to apologize or be the first person to apologize. Yeah. Do you think either of them are Taurus? I don't know when Lorelai's birthday is. We do know when Lorelai's birthday is, but what I forget, I'm sure we can just Google it. Lorelai birthday. We know what Emily's birthday is? Okay, Lorelai's birthday is April 25th. What is that? She is a Taurus. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was really good. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I only know that because mine's the 26th and I'm also a Taurus. Oh my God. You're, I didn't know your birthday. Well, I guess I just didn't know Lorelai's birthday. I didn't know your birthday was almost Lorelai's. Hmm, That's incredible. Oh, I love that for both her and you. Wow. Okay. This is a big moment for us. Lorelai and I could have a fun joint birthday party. Oh, that's the ultimate birthday party. I would love to go to that birthday party. It'd be great snacks. It'd be great snacks. Yeah, and I don't think we know when, em- I don't think we ever get any hand when Emily's birthday is. No. I'll look into it though. I'll see if people have theories, which I'm sure they do on Reddit. Something I also like about this scene is Richard and one of his business colleagues are talking about a younger coworker named Henry, who Richard is really worked up about. And I like to pretend that this is an earlier version of Jason Stiles. It has to be. It's just like too on the nose for it not to be the early idea for what Jason Stiles will end up being. I think the only difference is the name and the fact that he's not explicitly mentioned as the son of Richard's boss. But otherwise, he has every other trait. Like, he's young. He's like a young gunner person. He is gallivanting around London with women of the night uh, who aren't cheap. He's like the new guard of their industry, wants to shake things up. Yeah, which is a big Jason characteristic, which will cause a lot of tension with him and Emily. Yeah, so I love to imagine that Richard's (laughs) Richard's quasi-heart attack was caused by a Jason Stiles incident. One lawsuit and one heart attack. He's not a good record for the Gilmore family when they come, when they come into Jason Styles land. Yeah, not great. So next scene, cut back to from the Christmas party to Lorelai being home alone and listening to Christmas tunes. 
I know it's supposed to show that like Lorelai is sad and she's by herself, but I love this scene. I think it looks like it's so fun to like, can you imagine decorating a tree with Lorelai? It would be fun. And I also want to point out that she's listening to one of my favorite Christmas songs, which is Christmas Wrapping by the Waitresses. This is a song that I listen to year round. Did you find out about it because of Gilmore Girls? No, I just really enjoy it. Because I every time it comes on when I watch this episode, I'm like, I have to figure out what that song is because I really enjoy it. Christmas Wrapping by the Waitresses, which is the same group that did I Know What Boys Like, I oh, Know What Guys Love. That's yeah. a good song. Yeah, the Waitresses have some good hits. Oh, I have to look them up now. I also want to mention that the Christmas music just selection in this episode is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is exactly the song that I would think Lorelai would listen to. I think they're finally nailing it with like, what are character choices of things Lorelai would like that like tell us things about Lorelai and fit in with like the identifiable Lorelai ethos. Mm -hmm. She is trying to order a pizza, doesn't work. She takes a, like one of those pre-packaged like salad containers. You guys know what I'm talking about? The like bagged lettuce. Yes, it's bagged lettuce and pours some ranch dressing in it and shakes it. Which is clearly supposed to, you know, set up a contrast between like the dinner party, which is not super fun, but like, oh, food and people and Lorelai's eating bagged salad with ranch dressing poured in it in her house. So Lorelai has vegetables in her fridge. This does not. Yeah, I want to talk about that character. Number one, in Catherine's honor, I want to mention that we do get a fridge POV shot. <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. I think it's one of our last ones. But yeah, to me, the Gilmars in the future never have vegetables in their fridge. They never, like, have things that they bought from the supermarket either. No, they have, like, leftovers from takeout and some condiments. Yeah, like, even though to me this is supposed to show, like, look at Lorelai being pathetic, I'm always, like, every time I watch a scene, I'm like, whoa, Lorelai's eating a salad from the supermarket? So it sort of sends an opposite message to me. I'm like, oh, look at Lorelai being healthy. Wow, you go, girl. (laughs) You go, girl. And then who shows up but narcolepsy boy? Yeah, Lorelai hears something, and it turns out that it's Dean tapping on Rory's window. It will not be the last time that Rory has a suitor tap on her window. It will not be. And so they have an exchange through the window, which has a lot of, like, weird tones to it. To me, I think this is the first occurrence of what I want to call the weird sexual tension between Lorelai and Dean. I am not comfortable with it. I take no pleasure in pointing this out. But like, especially in seasons two and three, Lorelai and Dean develop a kind of strange flirty rapport that Mm -hmm. is not, I don't think it's written to the show, but it's something about how the characters play it. Jared Padalecki like plays off Lauren Graham really well. Yeah, he's like, oh, my girlfriend is a hot mom. He does. And I think she's like one of the few, I mean, I feel like Lauren Graham brings out great acting and everybody but like she's maybe the only person on the show who's able to bring like a- she's the only one that Jared Padalecki has chemistry with she really is and I think that's what it is like that's why we get this really creepy sense because like she's the only one that's able to pull out like some kind of fun acting from him mm-hmm. and because you don't get that anywhere else it's like mm-hmm. what the heck is going on here yeah it's a lot it's a lot they have like a banter about Lorelai imagining cutting his head off with like hedge clippers but yeah, he'd insist that nothing happened and Lorelai ends up forgiving him. Yeah, so- she acknowledges the fact that she knows, but she's just scared of Rory at 16 making some of the same choices that she did at 16. Yeah, and I think we know that, but it's to me, it's good to hear that said out loud. Mm-hmm. Just to like really articulate what's going on there, I think is important for the viewer. Mm-hmm. At that same moment, Lorelai's like, she's going to Harvard. And Dean's like, I know she's going to Harvard. And if she doesn't go, it's not going to be because of me. Mm-hmm. Which is a line that always sticks out to me, number one, because it ends up being true. Yeah. And two, because I think, and I don't think it's supposed to be written this way, but it shows like an, a level of self-awareness that is present nowhere else in the character where he's yeah. like, you know, I'm part of Rory's life, but like ultimately she's going to guide the decisions that she makes about her future. Yeah. She's an independent being. Yeah, which I'm like, it's one of the few moments where I'm like, fair, Dean. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Also, do you want to talk about the Osama bin Laden thing? Oh, yes. Okay. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it's an Osama bin Laden reference, though. I don't think it is either. But I do want to, I want to ask our, our viewers' opinions on this. So Dean asks if he's public enemy number one, to which Lorelai says she's still kind of hot for, and I quote, that crazy bomber guy living in a cave. Does she mean 
okay, there's a couple people I think she could mean. I, Osama bin Laden, because I'm like, what? And this is, this is pre 9-11. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. That's who I thought it was referencing. Yeah. Or I don't know. Is, was there someone else who was in the news? Because she's clearly specifically talking about someone. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really want to have bomber guy cave in my Google search history. No. But then I wanted to like gut check why I always thought it was the Unabomber. And it turns out that he went off the grid and lived in a cabin, right, not a right. cave. Yeah, it's the, the cave thing is what I never thought it was the Unabomber, like particularly, even though that was like one of the first people I thought of, because I was like, why don't he was in a cave? And I know Osama bin Laden was in a cave at some point, but I think that was after. I think that was post 9-11. Even though I know he was like on the US's radar. So I don't know if you, if you were like in, you know, aware of the news in 2000 and remember this and are a fully puffed listener. I know we have a few listeners who like are slightly older than us and can remember this stuff. Please use your expertise and let us know who the heck they're talking about. Which bomber dude went into a cave. Dean like seems to know who she's talking about too. And if Dean is, yeah. I don't There's know no way Dean keeps up with current events. <laughs> Dean does not know how to read. So. He even watch the news on television. He just looks at the pictures in his motorcycle magazines. <laughs> Tapes them up in his locker. So then Lorelai heads to Luke's. Uh, and as she does, we get this like really funny, unrelated scene of the bell ringers in the town square. I thought it was just like a funny, like unrelated aside to kind of further like color in the character of Stars Hollow. I completely agree. I like it a lot. The reason I wanted to point it out is because we never see really anything like that other in the show. Like whenever funny things happen, it's always focalized through the point of view of like Lorelai, Rory, or one of the main characters. And here we like see Lorelai running by and then it cuts away from her and we just see these randos for a while. Like, am I ringing on one or am I ringing on three? I feel like I am Henry in this scene. Henry is the guy who's unable to figure out. Also playing the handbells with some real white people shit. It truly is some real white people shit. <laughs> it's this. Is, are these the same carolers, carolers that walk in and try to get free food that, for with Taylor? Yeah. I, they have to be in the same group. Yeah, I don't think they're actually the same people, but they're they must be part of the same like procession rehearsal slash like Christmas milieu. But yeah. I love this. I, I think it's really great scene setting too. Um, and by this point in the episode, we are firmly in Stars Hollow Christmas cheer mode. Mm-hmm. Um, Lorelai's lack thereof contrasting nicely with that so I think it, it's good scene setting but also good storytelling for a reason so she goes to Luke's Luke is <laughs> he asked Luke for a menu <laughs> he's like what the heck you come here every day and you order the exact same thing you need to see a menu okay I want to talk about this because Lorelai doesn't order the exact same thing every time she comes there yeah, sometimes she gets breakfast. Sometimes she gets a hamburger. Yeah, and she gets different things for breakfast sometimes. Like sometimes she gets pancakes and sometimes she gets other stuff. So she just never gets a salad. I mean, I, I understand the principle because of course Lorelai has all of her favorite options memorized, but she doesn't get the exact same thing. Yeah, and so looking at the menu, she asks Luke if he has any seasonal specials. <laughs> Can you just imagine for a second what Luke's seasonal specials like written on a menu would be? Like Luke serving pumpkin spice something. Luke's like reindeer food. You know how people do reindeer food? Like a granola kind of thing. I just, it's oh, it's unimaginable to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so he pretends, you know, that he doesn't, <laughs> that that is an absurd ask. And she tells him that she's feeling lonely because, you know, she wants to be at the party and she doesn't know why she wants to be at the party. And he offers a pretty perceptive reading of why she wants to be there. The holiday season, you're missing Rory, even though you're not happy with your parents, it's something you do every year during the holidays. And yeah, I think that this is like our second glimpse of how insightful and deep Luke can be and how much he cares and listens to what Lorelai says. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to add. Like, that just is what it is. Yeah, it's great. And it's, it's I think the second, like, after the um, the scene in Love and War and Snow, when we hear him talk about it, him talk about his dad, like those scenes feel similar to me because you're you're finally seeing like the Luke that he's capable of being or that he is like underneath all the gruff stuff. Oh, and, Luke, you old softy. Ah, uh, we're Luke stands. We love him. We do. And then he makes the fateful Santa burger. Yeah. Though before we talk about that, there's yes. another cut back to the Christmas party. Yes. Good call. Good call. 
where we see they're eating dinner and Richard keeps complaining about how hot it is and if they can get someone to turn down the thermostat and he's trying to loosen his tie. And Emily kind of says like, you can't do that. Like that's impolite. And he ultimately gets up and goes into the kitchen to try to turn down the thermostat. And then we cut back to Luke's diner. Point of clarification. I'm glad you brought this up. I've always been confused because the episode, the way it's like cut seems to imply that he collapses like right there when he's going into the kitchen. But then when Rory talks to Lorelai later in the hospital about what happened, she's like, it was so scary. He just collapsed in a way that suggests that she saw it happen. I don't think I, I didn't infer that. Okay. So you think that he just collapsed and she's, she's just sort of saying, oh, he just collapsed. It was frightening. Yeah. And like, he was just, he was right there before, like having conversation at the dinner table. And then. That makes sense. At least that's how I read it. No, I really like that. I think that makes much more narrative sense. Right. So we then cut back to Luke Steiner and the Santa burger. Yes. So. Luke comes out with something on a plate and sets it down in front of Lorelai. It's this gross, it's like, it's cute. It's really cute looking. Yes. He basically, it's like an open-faced hamburger in which he's used ketchup and cream cheese and I think pickles to create a like Santa face on the Santa burger, which is very cute and it's very festive, but it looks absolutely disgusting and you could not pay me to eat it not only because I don't eat meat but just because the sheer amount of cream cheese on this item it's I completely agree with you it's so visually appealing and artistically adorable and like I know that Luke didn't actually make it like the props department of Gilmore Girls made it but the idea of Luke the character making such a like really really cute item kills me it melts my heart I also am in 100% agreement that you could not pay me to eat this. No. The combination of cream cheese and ketchup is the grossest thing I have ever heard of. Yeah. Do you think he expects her to eat <laughs> No, right? No. For me, it's thinking about the pickles mixing with the cream cheese. Oh, God. I guess my question is, why didn't he just do that with mayo, right? Like, it would be a lot of mayo but it would be significantly better tasting than cream cheese would be with those combination of items. Yeah, and at least mayonnaise is something that people like mix with ketchup. Yeah, mayonnaise is something with ketchup that goes on a burger. Like, I don't love the combination of those two things together, but it's feasible. It's not very upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so after, you know, as, as this is going on, L- Lorelai loves it. Like, she's really clearly touched. And it really is just another moment where we're seeing like the real Luke, you're a softy side of Luke. And then Lorelai gets a call. And because of Luke Steiner's no cell phone policy, she's not able to answer it. So she goes to voicemail. And then when she listens to the message, she found out that Rory called to say that Richard is in the hospital. Unsurprisingly, she starts freaking out about needing a cab and needing to get to the hospital. And Luke steps in and says that he'll take her, uh, which I just really love. Cute. He's been so grumpy a minute beforehand with Taylor, who's come in and like demanded free hot chocolate, essentially for his carolers. Yeah. And then he switches to like protective, not protective dad mode, though he's in that earlier with Rory, but like just, just like Luke managing a situation mode. Yeah, like Luke in a crisis and he shoes everybody out of the diner, says all the food's on him and goes to get his keys. Also, you know, what's interesting since you said that, like, you know, shooing everybody out and like being able to handle a crisis really effectively Lorelai is often really good at that too Mm -hmm. and like they both support they're able to support each other when each one is having a crisis but they do it in the same way like they handle everything they're able to like get everything together and immediately like solve all the problems for each other and I think they complement each other really well in that yeah then we get a scene of them driving in Luke's truck which is one of my favorite scenes in the show Luke the cautious driver doesn't this feel very in character for you Yeah, for me, I'm like not surprised that he's driving slowly, not because of him as a person, but more knowing about his truck and that it's like 50 years old. In season four, when Lorelai borrows it to move Rory into college, Mm -hmm. she, like, I I think at some point she makes some quip about the engine and it also gets stuck in reverse. Yeah. So they're in the car and Lorelai is just trying to like pull up some heartfelt memory that she has of her father and she just cannot think of one 
I want to, I exerted the dialogue here and I was wondering if we could read it on the pod because I think it's a really important scene. Go for it. You want to be one of the people or do you want me to just read it? <laughs> you don't have to. Do you want to be Lorelai or Luke? You can be Luke because he's Fever Great. <laughs> I'm sorry to do teacher stuff with you. All right. Go so, ahead. Lorelai <laughs> says, I feel like this is one of the moments where I should be remembering all the great times I had with my dad. You know, the time he took me shopping for a Barbie or to the circus or to fishing. And my mind is a complete blank. Well, I'm sure it happened. No, it didn't. We never did any of that. He went to work. He came home. He read the paper. He went to bed. I snuck out the window. Simple. He was a very by the numbers guy. And I was never very good with numbers. I'm sure he loves you. You know, my dad is not a bad guy. I'm sure he's not. He lived his life the way he thought he was supposed to. He followed the rules taught to him by his non-fishing, non-Barbie buying dad. He worked hard. He bought a nice house. He provided for my mom. All he asked in return was for his daughter to wear white dresses and go to Cotillion and want the same life that he had. What a disappointment it must have been for him to get me. I can't imagine anyone seeing you as a disappointment. I'd bet you'd buy a Barbie for your daughter. Yeah, well, I'd probably give her the cash to buy it for herself and meet her by the baseball cards. You'll make a great dad. You make a great mom. Yeah, it's just the daughter part that I don't have down yet. Okay, hold on. That Camaro is dust. Zoom and he speeds up. Thank yeah, you. there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here. Do you want to break it down? Um, I'm trying to figure out where I want to start. Okay, so what I pinged on immediately is I think that this is like where the defining dynamic between Lorelai and Richard, like the dynamic that's going to characterize mm-hmm. their relationship for the whole series is like, most explicitly spelled out yeah like you can tell that they really care about each other but have never been able to communicate with one another because they're just both so different yeah whereas with Emily like the dynamic is so explicit and Emily and Lorelai are so similar and I think the show spends so much time focusing on that dynamic the relationship between Richard and Lorelai is based on like such difference Mm -hmm. it's so much subtler and like kind of more confusing in its dynamics that I think that I always feel really glad that they have this moment of like explicit articulation on the show because I, I it draws our attention to it number one and I think it makes it clear what's going on in a way that maybe would not have we wouldn't have pinged on if they hadn't broken it down like this yeah and you can I think this also picks up on something else which is like a theme of the show too of like Richard and Emily doing the things that they're supposed to do because that's what they're supposed to do like they're supposed to have a kid they're supposed Richard's supposed to have this job and he's supposed to be the provider for this nuclear family and like they're both they both approach everything from the expectation of what it is that they're supposed to do which I think tells us a lot about the dynamic that they end up having with their child yeah because Lorelai completely breaks the mold of the expectation and even though she's completely successful in her own right they're unable to like understand that success because it's not according to the metric that they do that they even that like what I see in it is more like you can tell that she had a very frosty childhood because I don't think that Emily and Richard probably wanted to have a child like seeing how cold they were towards her growing up from what we hear like I think they did it because they had to or the expectation was that they would and so once they had a child they had no idea what to do or how to be nurturing or anything like that because they were just doing it because that is what was expected. I've never thought about that. I think that's really interesting. I think that's why it's so difficult for us to like imagine Richard and Emily's parents because they're sort of like the platonic grandparents. Like they're not able to relate to someone in a way that it's their kid. They can relate to Rory almost like on a one step removed level. And especially Richard is like on an intellectual level. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're really, it's really difficult for them to like communicate their love too. Yeah. I also wanted to point out too, like something I think is really fascinating about this is with Emily and Lorelai, you often see that like Emily tries to force expectations onto Lorelai and Lorelai really resents them and bristles against them. And you see very few times where she's like expresses regret over not being able to live up to those expectations that Emily put on her. But for Richard, I think there's a consistent theme of sadness that she couldn't be what Richard wanted her to be. Yeah, it's kind of like how the, like, 
I'm not mad. I'm disappointed hits deeper than I'm mad. Because Emily, I think was probably just much more explicitly controlling too. And Mm. like really tried to explicitly force those things on her. And Richard was more distant. And she's like faced with the possibility of his imminent death. Things that he asked from her, like implicitly, like wear a white dress, go to cotillion, don't sneak out the window, seems so much like smaller of things Mm -hmm. to ask from someone. And she's feeling like, why couldn't I do that? I think the lack of communication theme that you mentioned and like that dynamic through the series where they didn't have any moments like this, like these bonding moments comes around full circle in the revival in a way that I really love. And that I think is like, oh my God, I think it's the best, probably the best moment of the series or really one of the best moments of the series. Yeah, agree. Spoiler alert, if you don't want (laughs) to listen to this, you can skip this part. But at Richard's funeral, Emily asked everybody to go around and share a favorite personal memory with him. And Lorelai can't think of anything. So she ends up sharing this like unbelievably difficult to watch, really inappropriate story about him finding her after she's hooked up with this guy. And then another of her like climbing in his suitcase when he was going on a business trip to Europe. And Emily is understandably really, really furious. She feels like Lorelai did this to like ruin the funeral. And she's also just grieving. So she's super upset. And then at the end of the revival, Lorelai calls Emily and is able to finally like share this memory, her her most meaningful memory with Richard. And it's a memory of the kind that Lorelai says in this scene in season one that she doesn't have. Richard finding her at the mall when she left school after she was teased and they get ice cream and see a movie together. And it's just, oh my God. I think they saw two, one for him and one for her. Also, I found out, so what the movie that they see for him is a, I think it's called a single woman or something like that. But the actress that plays Emily, it was in that movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I like that. Lost my mind. When I found out Kelly Bishop was in it, I lost it. I like almost cried on my couch because I'd always, it's called an unmarried woman. That's what it is. And I'd always just meant to like look up. I figured they just picked a movie that was like an adult movie that was, you know, like a rated PG. Like a classic. Yeah. Yeah. That was out that time. And when I found out she was in it, it was just such an extra layer of meaning that I just lost it. When we get, I can't wait to talk about that scene when we get to it. When we get to the revival in like three years. <laughs> it's going to be great. Who knows where we'll be in our lives. Yeah. I also really love the Lorelai and Luke dynamic here. Yeah. And you can tell that, yeah, he cares and you can see exactly what kind of parent he would be. Oh, I love that. And it's so ironic because spoiler alert, he already is a parent and doesn't know it. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know. It's just really, it's a really nice scene. And you can feel like them coming together close emotionally. And I think that that's something I really love about the Lorelai and Luke relationship is that like more for me about like chemistry or romance or anything like that, like all the stuff that Max Medina and Lorelai have in spades, it's sort of about being there for each other emotionally. Mm-hmm. And like having a history with each other. Having history and like being able to help each other through things and really understanding where each other comes from. And I think mm-hmm. that's the strength of their relationship. And I think that's like when it's most compelling. And I love those moments when we get to see that. So that's my little spiel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about the hospital stuff? Yeah. So we get to the hospital and Emily is just giving the nurse at the nurse's station an absolute earfall about why she can't go back to see him, um, blah, blah, blah. And the nurse is saying that, like, no, like we need you to fill out these forms before we can let you back. And she's just having none of it. The nurse is played by Jane Lynch. Um, which is just a hilarious cameo. Is this our first like weird cameo of someone you would not expect to be in Gilmore Girls? Yes. And there are many to come. There are many to come. Prepare to be quite surprised by some of them. Yeah. And so Emily just is refusing to just like listen to the nurse and do what she needs her to do. And then Luke and Lorelai arrive and they're like, lost because the hospital's a bit of a maze which I don't blame them a lot of hospitals are really poorly designed there's not good wayfinding but whatever and they finally realize that they're in the right spot when they can hear Emily also I want to point out so you had mentioned that the carpet oh yeah so I got very distracted during a lot of these hospital scenes because I just I kept focusing on the flooring because it looked like it was carpet so I was like that hospitals do not have carpet in them for obvious reasons in terms of like cleanliness and cleaning protocols and infection control you cannot have carpet on the floor 
So when you, you made a note of that and I went back and rewatched the episode this morning because, and like paid special attention to that. And it is carpet. It looks like carpet. Absolutely is carpet. And I, I think I was superimposing the image of the season seven episode where they go to the hospital when they like follow the like red line on the tile. Yeah. Or like maybe that's in the Logan one when they're in the hospital, but there is a Gilmore girl scene where they have tile. So I was like, what is Oh, I think it's when Asher Fleming. Is it when Ashley Fleming died? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come across us a couple hospital episodes, actually. But yeah, they're like following a red line on like tile. So I was like, is it carpet? And I went back and it is. It's this weird like blue carpet. What? Like industrial carpet, yeah. Do they not have like a hospital set they could film this in? I don't know, man. I don't know. I got very distracted by it. It's a mystery. And now that's all I'm going to be able to notice when I watch this episode going forward. And then when the nurse tries to call Emily Ms. Gilmore, Emily has an absolutely iconic line. She says, it's not Ms. Gilmore. It's Mrs. Gilmore. Mrs. Gilmore. I am not a Cosmo woman. One of the best. It's a good line. It's great. And it shows that she's just she's struggling with the idea of losing number one the love of her life but also her husband Mm -hmm. I want to go back to what you had said when we talked about the previous scene which is that Emily and Richard have lived their life like by conventional expectations and that Emily you see here like in this these hospital scenes how that has its downsides because Emily doesn't know so you know obviously like it sucks doing paperwork in a crisis but I think she's she just doesn't know a lot of the stuff she would need to put down on the paperwork yeah, she probably doesn't know about their health insurance policy. She probably doesn't know the relevant, like, like all of the legal stuff too. Mm-hmm. And you see that that, like, the idea of Richard taking care of all that stuff works right up until it doesn't mm-hmm. in a crisis like this. And I think that's the tie-in to the I am a kayak, hear me, roar episode. Yeah. Where Lorelai shows Emily, like, how to do taxes. And Emily is just, like, bowled over and completely amazed that Lorelai knows how to do all this stuff for herself. Mm-hmm. And talks about, like, how nobody ever taught her that. And nobody ever showed her, you know, or had expectations that she would do it. And she's like, you know, with my friends, it was like, we would, it would be a huge disaster if a woman divorced her husband. She would have to find another husband. But with you, like, you're able to do all this stuff. You, you know, you're going to be fine. And it's just really touching. Mm-hmm. And here, like, Lorelai comes in and similarly, like, solves a problem for Emily. Like, she's able to get Jane Lynch to go and give up on the forms. And she's able to get them to get past the hospital doors and give information. Yeah. And And we'll talk about this when we get there, too. But in the scene with Richard and Emily near the end, this is the same theme that comes up as well. My God, that scene. That's Well, we'll get to that when we get there. We'll get to that when we get there. Well, I think we should also point out that Lorelai rolls up with Luke. Yes. Good call. And oh, sorry, one other minor thing that I wanted to bring up that we didn't mention was that when she gets to the hospital, we see Emily make a phone call to Lorelai's house, which Lorelai's not there because as we know, she's on her way to the hospital with Luke. And you can tell that Emily is like not surprised that she won't pick up her phone call. But then she comes rolling into the hospital with Luke and Emily says something like, were you two on a date? And she's like, no, mom, it's Luke. And you also can see that she's so happy that she is there. She's mm-hmm. like, you're here, you're here. But yeah, I love dynamic when Luke is like, yeah, when she says it's Luke, that means obviously we're not on a date. Classic mm-hmm. Lorelai banter. Yeah. And so they arrive. Is it here that we learn that Luke hates hospitals? Yeah. It's somewhere around here, essentially. Yeah. He specifically doesn't like people with like very gory injuries, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I always thought was funny. Yeah. And so we get a lot of like Luke comforting both Rory, comforting Lorelai. They finally wheel Richard into a room and, you know, get him set up. And everybody asks like, Lorelai, are you going to go in? And she keeps making excuses. And Luke is the one who like sort of cottons on to the fact that she doesn't want to go. And he calls her out on the fact that she's afraid to go in there, which I think becomes the driving dynamic of like this part of the episode. Mm -hmm. I I agree. I think it's clear why, right? Because she She doesn't know what to say to him. She doesn't know what to say. They have this gulf of lack of understanding between them. Mm -hmm. And him being in the hospital has like made all these emotions arise. She doesn't know how to address them. But But then we cut inside of the hospital room and we see Rory reading Richard, all the information from the financial papers and he listens and comments. And I think this just illustrates how Rory is kind of almost like the daughter figure that was intended for Richard. 
and just showing us more how they have so much in common. They really do. They have like more in common than anyone in the entire show. Yeah. And then Emily asks Rory, you know, could you leave? Could just give us some, you know, give mm-hmm. us time to relax. And Emily says, that little girl likes you to Richard. And he says, well, she has good taste. That's cute. Edward Herman for being actually like not in this episode very much kills it. So then here is the scene. Oh, so Emily is trying to, you know, she's focused on how comfortable or supportive the hospital pillows are. And Richard is trying to interrupt her and tell her that they have things they need to talk about. And he tells her that there is a key in his desk drawer that'll lead to all of their stock and financial information, as well as his will. And like, she will not listen to him. And then he says like, Emily, this is serious. We have to be practical if I die. And then she cuts him off and just defiantly says, no, there will be many things going on in this hospital tonight, but your dying is not one of them. And then he's like, Emily. And she goes, in fact, I demand to go first. She, and he's yes. like, Emily. And she goes, no, like I won't hear of it. And then, in, oh my God, he goes, you may go first. Yes, Emily, you may go first. And then she starts to call for sheets and they hold each other's hands and look at each other in such a meaningful way. <sighs> this yeah. is, this kills me. It, and because we know that he goes first. We know that he goes first. He dies first. Ah! But even like not knowing that, it's still devastating. But when you know how it ends up playing out, oh my God, it's devastating. And I mean, so for those of you who haven't seen the revival, Edward Herman, the actor, dies between right before they made the revival, really, right? Like a couple years ago. Yeah, I think ago. it was like a year before year they before. started it. He dies of brain cancer, brain tumor. And so the whole, really the whole revival is about like dealing with the grief over his death. And it's just, oh my gosh, it's so devastating. Part of the reason, I, most of the reason I love the revival so much, but yeah, so it's just great. I mean, what else do you say about this scene? Except it's fantastic. Though you wanted to say stuff about the whole like, you know, financial, her needing to know where the stuff is. Yeah, I think we've already touched on it. Just showing that like Emily is so dependent on Richard for everything and like she knows this and I think she's just very afraid of what might happen if he were to go first yeah you know and that's also tied in with the fact that she loves him and her life is in a lot of ways defined by that love for him like she's a wife that is her like that is what she is yeah and I think it's interesting too because like she clearly loves him so much and like really does well in that role so it's Mm -hmm. not like oh Emily is being forced into this but you can still see the drawbacks of it Mm-hmm. which I think like is the, pra- the practical drawbacks yeah and I think that's why the show is so good right it's not like the simple narrative of like oh look at look how this is bad it complicates that which is like you know she really loves she loves him and she thrives in this role and like that's why the practical drawbacks of it are so difficult to deal with <sighs> fantastic and then also <laughs> Rory and Lorelai make up <laughs> oh yeah yeah nothing happened I know nothing happened I know cool whatever (laughs) they make up by the coffee machine also at one point Rory like tries to get coffee and she says to Luke and Lorelai she's like the machine was jammed so I got us some chicken soup and some pets (laughs) but also lol that's like very hospitally it reminds me of the next season when they go on the road trip to Harvard and they eat like the fuzzy certs that they find at the bottom of Lorelai's one of my favorite funny lines Lorelai like cracks the certs so yeah but then after they make up Lorelai goes out and talks to Luke and basically admits that yeah she's afraid to talk to Richard but she's gonna go in Mm -hmm. so she enters and Richard's asleep or like nearing sleep his eyes are closed when she comes in so she like looks at him for a pretty significant amount of time I always forget how long it is and she sees like the machines beeping and him with his eyes closed kind of restless and like strapped to all the machines and I think she really takes in his like mortality she sees him as like being small and like fallible yeah which is one of the major metaphors of the show right like when her parents always seem really big to her and then in certain moments like when she tells them she's pregnant they seem small first time I ever saw my dad look small but yeah and then she starts to tear up and he opens his eyes and sees her and they both start to tear up and it looks like they're both gonna say something and then neither of them know what to say they don't know how to bridge that gap oh Oh. and I think Richard probably regrets his 
behavior towards Lorelai as well. But I don't know. I mean, I don't, I like, what do you think? What keeps him from knowing what to say in this moment? They just don't know how to talk to each other and they never have. Yeah. And then they don't get the chance to because Richard's doctor and Emily burst in and they're like, good news. Mm -hmm. It's just angina. Thank you, Gilmore Girls, for teaching me what angina is. I did not. not Everything's a heart attack. Yeah. It's not a heart attack. It's like, isn't it kind of like a elevated heartburn kind of thing? Yeah. So it sucks, but you didn't probably need to go to the hospital. But Richard gets a prescribed food diet of healthy things, which he will be battling with throughout the show on and off. Um, Yeah. No more alcohol or red meat, which like, LOL. Yeah, right. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. And then so Lorelai comes out. She tells Luke that Richard's going to be okay or he and he's overheard. She asks him to take Rory home and he says yes. And then she says she's going to stay there for a while. And when she comes out and tells Emily that, Emily is really surprised and thrilled. And that kind of serves as, they don't explicitly acknowledge the fight, but to me that serves as like they're making up. Yeah, the like unspoken. Reconciliation. Yeah. And then we cut to a few days later and this, there's a sweet little scene back at Luke's where it's closer to Christmas. Uh, we should also mention that the Gilmore's Christmas party is a week before Christmas. Isn't it two weeks? Maybe it's two weeks. Two weeks. It's like pretty extreme before Christmas. Luke is not happy about that. <laughs> yeah, he's like, why, why would you ever celebrate Christmas two weeks early? But now it's closer to Christmas and Lorelai comes in with a little gift bag and like gives him the status updates on her dad and gives him this hat a blue hat that she tries to put on his head and does not put it on correctly she puts it on like front way first and it does look really weird it does look weird and not just because we're used to seeing luke with the backwards baseball hat like it looks weird independently of that Mm -hmm. and then they watch the shenanigans in in stars hollow it's really cute and Luke starts complaining about them and Lorelai's just like shut up and watch the procession and it's really great it's really cute it's it's perfect it's a it's a fantastic episode yeah honestly a few notes here and there most of them minor yeah and most of them things we love I have two questions for you before we go to like rate the episode Mm -hmm. number one and I'll ask both of them now and go into them how do you think this works as like a hospital episode? Why do you think they chose to like set the reconciliation in a hospital? And what does that do? And like, does it subvert expectations of a hospital episode? And number two, and the one I'm more interested in is why do you think that they choose to frame the reconciliation of Lorelai and Emily and Lorelai and Rory through like the illness of a character who's not involved in the fight in the first place? Like, it's very unusual to me to have like, you know, why wouldn't it be like Emily got sick or Rory got sick or something like that, which I think would be more typical, but I think it works better to have Richard be like the site of this. And I think it's more interesting. Yeah, no, I think this is all intentional. Like I think the hospital kind of like serves to show them that there are things that are more important going on than whatever like small disagreements they have amongst each other. And also it wouldn't work if it was one of the three of them that was in the hospital because we need to see them active throughout the episode in order to get to the final reconciliation. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that, that they actually have to be like thinking and active and up and talking mm-hmm. to happen. A good call. Though I guess you could do like Rory gets sick and then she talks to Rory about it. No, that's too high stakes though. Yeah, that's true. Right. It needs to be high stakes enough that it's like a thing, but not high stakes that it over, it completely overshadows the conflict. Yeah. I also think that it brings a really interesting new dynamic to the conflict they were already having because it was just about like the expectations that Emily had for Lorelai and like her fear about Rory repeating like the dynamic mm-hmm. um, or becoming like Lorelai and ruining her life or whatever. But now by bringing Richard in, it brings like a whole new set of stakes and like conflicts in here, like Lorelai's relationship to Richard and her different relationship to the expectations that Richard put on her. And the Gilmore's different relationships to like normalized sets of expectations for how they're going to live their life. And I think it complicates the dynamic and makes it richer than like, haha, richer, Richard, than just like Emily has unreasonable expectations for Lorelai and is overreacting. And it makes it something like a broader picture and a more emotionally complex and sympathetic picture of the Gilmore's lives and Lorelai's relationship to them. Yeah, agreed. It's really smart writing. Yeah. Bravo, what's his name? <laughs> Let me look it up, hold on. 
Bravo, John Stevens. Wow, that is an anodyne name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the episode? It's gotta be the Santa Burger. Oh, it's so good. I think mine's the Richard and Emily scene, but the Santa Burger is really close up there. And the scene where Lorelai and Luke talk in the car. Yeah. It's fantastic. I just, the Santa Burger is so iconic and it's so silly, but showing that he cares. No, it's great. Do we have memorable fashion moments in the episode? Not really. Everyone is kind of in the same outfit throughout. My only thing was about Lane and her earmuffs and how they intentionally try to dress her down. But yeah. And then we have the blue baseball hat too. Yes. The iconic blue baseball cap. I have two. I think that Lorelai's outfit throughout the episode, which is like the frosted blue eyeshadow and the green long sleeve tee is mm-hmm. unrelated, but quite good. I think it's, it's, it's a great look on her. Yeah. It's also very like 2000. It's very 2000s. It, it's a, a good balance between like, it's very 2000s, but it still feels very Lorelai and looks good. Anyone else would look absurd, of course, mm-hmm. which is a essential component of a like Lorelai outfit TM. And Rory has this really weird side ponytail in the gazebo scene with Lane that reminds me so strongly of Deb from Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it is, it is disturbing. I really hate it. Yeah, you almost expect her to go door to door selling friendship bracelets for money for college. Exactly. I was like, it takes me completely out of the scene. And in combo with Lane's weird earmuffs, it is a very bizarre mix. Yeah. Kilmore girls, I think that there is a moment if if it, if we're gonna true if it were gonna turn true crimey at any point, it would. I think that we have the possibility that proto Jason Styles actually poisoned Richard and mm. get him out of the way. <laughs> I could see that. Should we rate it? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. I think I would give it a nine. I'm going to give it a nine too. Yeah. It's a fantastic episode. I don't yeah. know if it's to me quite as strong as the last two. It feels more of like a personal fave to me, but it's a solid nine. No, I think it's all of the like emotional and relationship dynamics that we have here. I think it, I think it, I think it's a nine. I think this is a really strong trio of episodes. I know you don't like the Rose Dance one. Oh, I yeah. In my opinion, I think that the Love, War, and Snow, Rory's Dance, and Forgiveness and stuff, which is what this one is called, I think that that's a really, really strong trio. Yeah, yeah, and they both do a lot of, like, building towards the dynamics of the show. Yeah, I think if you if you pick, like, a season one trio of episodes that you're like, what sets up Gilmore Girls really well, what to it watch. Because they've hit their stride. Hit their stride. Then episode stride, next sorry. is perhaps my least favorite. I, I mean, I skip this episode every single time I watch the season. And Which it's, one? It's Paris is Burning, the one where they find out about the Max Medina relationship. Oh, yeah. I don't think I skip it necessarily because it's a bad episode, but because it's so hard to watch that I actually feel myself like coming out of my skin when I- I mean, that, that's why I don't like Rory's dance. Yeah, I think that's why Catherine said too, like she loves the majority of the episode and then she actually like physically cannot watch the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, this Max Medina episode is, because it brings up all of my concerns that I've had throughout the show about their relationship and- makes them pop so much worse than you could imagine them being I'm gonna have a real trouble talking about next week's episode (laughs) we'll get there we'll get there we'll get through it together yeah so this is our 10th episode thank you so much for continuing to follow along with fully puffed I can't I mean I can't believe what we made this far because I love this project and it's so fun to do um but I can't believe you guys are actually tuning in and listening and it's just really exciting and fun yeah Thanks for ringing the bell with us. (laughs) Well, join us next week.